Thank you for listening to a sermon from the District Church. For more information about us, please visit www.thedistrict.church. Additionally, if any of our sermons have brought encouragement to you, would you please let us know by emailing us at info at thedistrict.church. Good morning, everyone. How we doing? Awesome. Good. I like this. Usually people don't sit on the front row, and so y'all are killing it today, so this is really good. You're probably going to get spit on. That's all right. <laughs> um, but uh, it's good to worship with you this morning, and in our last Sunday, uh, not as a church, but here at Refinery. Uh, so it's our last Sunday here, so just, again, letting everyone know we're going to over-communicate as much as possible. If you show up here next Sunday, all that will be in this room are the chairs and the TVs, but everything else will be gone, uh, and, and the rest of us will as well. And so we will be at the other building, um, and uh, all the information about that is going out this week. As far as the address, it's just three blocks north, uh, just off of 52nd and Keystone. Um, and we're having a big kind of moving party, if you will, on Wednesday night. And so if you've got some free time Wednesday evening, to be able to come and, and grab a couple of items, throw them in your car, and get them over to the new building. Uh, we would love the help and, and just prep to, uh, to get over there. And so it's going to be a good move for us. It's going to be a good uh, new kind of season or chapter for us as we've uh, kind of gotten to this space of capacity here. And, and because we, we want to, as long as possible, always to keep one gathering. And so we could have gone to multiple gatherings in this space, but that just seems dumb. And so, um, so for us, we want to try to keep it one gathering and go to a different space. And so we'll have a lot more room um, at the new building uh, when it comes to capacity. And so it, and it'll just give us a lot more opportunity with uh, some new people that we're going to interact with because we're still going to be sharing that facility with another church as well. And so that's the other thing is if you show up at 10 o'clock, you're going to be an hour late. Um, and so our services will begin at 9 a.m., at the new facility. It might take you a couple of weeks to kind of figure that out, uh, but once you figure it out, I think you'll really enjoy it because we'll be, Lord willing, you know, getting out around 1030 and you've got the rest of your day to do whatever you brunch millennials do. And so um, you can figure it out and, and enjoy it. So it'll be a good time. It'll be a good time. We're really looking forward to uh, how the Lord has provided that facility for us um, and uh, just what he's going to do there. With that being said, we're going to continue on in our series today. So if you've got your Bibles, go ahead and open them up to Genesis 3. Yes, we are still in Genesis 3, all right? We've been there uh, for the last three weeks, and so I kind of opened it up uh, three weeks ago with just reading the story of the fall of humanity, all right? How Adam and Eve, our first parents, how they sinned, how they fractured creation, how they disobeyed God, how they didn't... They did not trust him, believe him, continue to seek advice and wisdom from him. But they just chose to do their own thing. They chose to, to really just try to be their own God. And so we saw that there was a serpent that came into the garden. We talked a little bit about the serpent and how he got there and also how he was also Satan and how that works out. And uh, if you weren't there for that sermon to be able to, to listen to those things, that was also the week that we were not able to stream because of all of our equipment that got stolen. Um, and so because we weren't able to stream, if you want access to be able to read that sermon to kind of answer some questions. What's the origin of evil? Where does Satan come from? Where do 
then I will send you my manuscript for that sermon, all right? And so I tend to manuscript out word for word. And so if you uh, were not able to be here for that week, just email me and I'll just shoot it to you. And honestly, you can actually ask that every week. Like if you want, an e- like if you want the manuscript, just email us and we'll shoot it to you every single week um, if you would like that. So um, that's what we talked about that week. Josh then looked last week at how that Christian story then impacts our beliefs. And, and so what do we believe about the fall of man? What do we believe about sinful nature and the origins of sinful nature and how that impacts us um, um, from really a, a nature perspective? And so Josh did a really good job last week of just walking from Genesis to Revelation, just tons of chapters and passages that look at the effects of sin and how we, by nature, are bent towards sinning on a daily basis. And that it's not something that you learn, but it's something that you are from an identity. And that, and that really helps us to identify and understand the world around us. It, it helps us to understand more about ourselves when it comes to who we are as an identity, who we are as, as born people into this world as broken, fallen, fractured uh, sinners. And so that helps us understand why we're in strife with other people, why there's racism, why there's prejudice, why there's uh, you not being able to do your job to the perfect ability that you think you can do it, why your children rebel against you, why tornadoes come, like anything and everything that has fallen, broken, and fractured is because of that belief that we hold to of called total depravity. The fact that everything is broken and fractured because of the story that we looked at the first week. The disobedience of Adam and Eve. Sin entering into the world. And so what I want to do today then is the formation piece. All right. So we looked at story. We looked at belief. How then does that impact our day to day? How does that impact our lives uh, when it comes to our decisions that we make, when it comes to the things that we uh, kind of feel or pull towards um, that, that, that ultimately just lead to grief? And don't really serve us in in a way that is life-giving. And so just to kind of, um, out of the gate, put some cards out on the table. You are going to feel attacked today, okay? Uh, Just throwing that out there. You're going to feel attacked today. Maybe seen, maybe exposed, but definitely attacked. Um, and, And the reason why I say that is because as I was kind of preparing this message, um, it, it was not in the light of... Okay, yeah, I know so-and-so deals with this, and I know so-and-so deals with this, and I know so-and-so struggles with this, and so let's attack those things. I feel very attacked by this message today. Just walking through it and prepping through it throughout the week made me even that much more aware of my fallen nature on a daily basis and the things that tempt me and pull me and, and really just the same schemes that the devil was doing in the garden are the same schemes that he's doing today that are, again, drawing on our fallen nature. And again, I'll get to the end of it and how we can combat that with the identity of Christ in us as believers. But we got to come to terms in understanding that there is still a fallen flesh that we are dealing with on a daily basis that the devil and his schemes and the enemy and their schemes are pulling on you and putting in front of you to tempt you in order to lure and entice you to take away or rob you of the joy that God has for you every single day. 
to be able to put you in places where you're inefficient when it comes to uh, encouraging and exalting and, and, and leading others and stirring up the body of Christ, literally making you ineffective as a Christian. And then not only robbing you of that, but then robbing you of, of just the beauty to be able to sit in silence and to meditate and to have stillness. Because in our world right now, that's non-existent, right? And for us, there's something, and I don't know when this, this shifted. I tried searching it, but I really couldn't find at what point in history did this start to happen. But the idea that you have to fill every single second of your life with some type of either content or media or productivity in order to be a good human is just not true. It's just not true. And so we want to combat that today. And again, I think this is going to... I don't think there's anyone in this room, and I'm even including the toddlers. I don't think there's anyone in this room who would be able to say at the end of this, it's not my problem. I don't struggle with that. So here we go. Genesis 3. Uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to actually read 1 through 6 again just to kind of give us a, a foundation here and then bring it into a little bit of 21st century. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. So again, we looked at that the first week of where the serpent came from, who the serpent was, and, uh, and what he was ultimately doing. So again, if you want that, email me and I'll send it to you. The point is, though, is we know that Satan himself, the devil, is a tempter. He is a deceiver. And as 1 Peter 5, 8 says, he's an adversary who prowls around like a roaring lion seeking to devour someone. One of the most important things that we need to understand first is we need to understand who is constantly trying to tempt us. Who is constantly trying to remind us of who we were before Christ, not who we are in Christ. Who is constantly trying to accuse us and recondemn us of the things that God is now telling us there's no condemnation over you anymore. This is what Satan is doing constantly is prowling like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. And in addition to 1 Peter, we see in John 8, 44, it says that you referring to um, those who are not of the church or just those who are not believers, you are of your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. There's nothing truthful that comes out of the mouth of, of, of Satan, or that comes out of the mouth of the enemy, or that comes out of the mouth of your own flesh. Nothing truthful about it. Rather, what it's going to continue to speak of is, is and this might be the only truthful thing, is the fact that in your fallen nature, there's nothing that you can do to please God. Absolutely nothing. Completely a sinner, completely broken, completely fractured. And so chapter 3 of Genesis is the first time that we see Satan in action. And what I want to do today is unpack his strategy to continue to woo us. His strategy that continues to deceive us and tempt us away from God's good, holy, and righteous way of life. So looking again at the way that he deceived our first parents, he said to the woman, Did God actually say, You shall not eat of any tree in the garden? 
And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die. Again, lying. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Now he's speaking on behalf of God. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. To bring this strategy of temptation to the 21st century, in his new book, The Wisdom Pyramid, which is a book I recommend for each one of you, Brett McCracken, he ends chapter 1, which he, he titles chapter 1 as The Information Gluttony. He ends chapter 1 by contemplating how Satan must delight in the unique temptations of our current, hyper-distracted, overwhelmed-with-information digital age. I mean, he's got to be running rampant on how much information is at our fingertips to then be able to just tap into this one little temptation that he did with Adam and Eve. And it wasn't the temptation of fruit. It wasn't even the temptation of good and evil. It was the temptation of what? The knowledge. Knowledge. Knowledge is the temptation that's at risk here, that's at play. He writes, as humans become more stressed, numbed, disoriented, distracted, and paralyzed by the impenetrable gluttony of information, chaos reigns. And as chaos reigns, sin thrives. He also notes how interesting it is that the fall of man in Genesis 3 came about because of, again, the temptations of knowledge. And I think in our age, too, the lure, the enticing of infinite godlike knowledge is what's wreaking havoc. It's what's wreaking havoc. I even sometimes ponder, and I was thinking about this as I was scrolling this week, and I just happened to drop my phone, and when I dropped my phone and picked it up, the logo on the back. I have an iPhone, okay? The logo on the back. An apple with a bite out of it. It just made me think for a moment. Like as we're, as we're dealing with Genesis 3 here, I then started, because I'm a big history guy, I love history, and so I always want to know the origins of things. And I'm thinking, okay, is that just happen chance that, 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 that the, the apple with the... And, and again, in Genesis 3, it's not to say that it's an apple, it's a fruit, but a lot of people think it's an apple. But is that just by chance that the thing that right now is pulling us so much and is luring and enticing and demanding and commandeering our time and, and commandeering all kinds of things in our lives right now has an apple with a bite on the back. I just find it interesting. Is the logo an intentional nod to the forbidden fruit from Eden's tree of the knowledge of good and evil? And technically, no, all right? Rob Janoff, who I did find it, all right? He's the, he's the guy who created the logo. According to him, he says no, all right? But he also did not give an explanation as to what it was or what he thought it would be. 
So whether it was intentional or unintentional, it still alludes to the Eden and temptation. And for various reasons, the association with forbidden fruit could not be more fitting for what it does to us on a daily basis. I want you to think about just a couple of things here. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to cross-reference these to actually our week one of this entire series. When we looked at God. And we looked at who God is. And we looked at some attributes of God. And of those attributes, it's all the omni-attributes, all right? It's His omniscience, which is His all-knowing. It's His omnipresence, which is His ability to be everywhere at all times in His fullness. And it's also His omnipotence, which is His ability to have all power and to be in control over all things and to be sovereign over all of those things. Now, when we think of those things, and then we think of the temptation of Adam and Eve to be like God, Pull that into our current day and age right now. I want you to think about some of these things when it comes to the temptation we have with that digital thing in our pocket. Never has a God, and this is with his omniscience, never has a gadget offered such access to godlike knowledge. Never. Not one, go back in history. Never at one point in any history has there been a gadget that provides for us godlike knowledge. And what I mean by that is in your device right now, you have the ability to search just about any document or information or article that has ever been published. You have that access. I mean, technically, you have the access of education in any regard of field right now, just at your fingertips. You don't even need to go to college. Just saved you like 50 grand. Everything is just a Google click away. It even gives you a personal assistant to help you with the knowledge. Hey Siri, where's the nearest gas station? Hey Siri, how far away is the sun? 92 million miles, if you were wondering. But omniscience is the, 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 the ability to have all knowledge at our fingertips, or at least the allure of it. Think about omnipresence. Your smartphone allows you to approach God-like omnipresence, connecting you to people, places, and happenings all over the world all the time. Like literally, everything happening everywhere is within your grasp, just mere clips, clicks away. As you swipe and as you scroll and as you're searching, I mean, how many of you right now are planning to go on a vacation and have already searched out what it's going to look like. Because you're able to do that. I literally, we're, we're, we're um, right now, we're going to be going to, I can't say it, um, <laughs> almost got in trouble there. Uh, kids are in the room, so I can't say it. But we're going somewhere, and I was looking up street views to see, like, okay, what, what, is this a good spot? Is this a good looking hotel, what does that look like? I'm able to like just transpose myself there and see. Like we're not having to wait for artists to create a picture that then gets printed in uh, a newspaper that then gets delivered two weeks later on an event that happened two weeks ago. That's how things used to work. Like you only had the imagination of an event based on what someone else created of that event. How many of you, I don't remember, this was maybe two years ago, the burning of the uh, Notre Dame Cathedral in, in France? How many of you were just watching it as if you were there? 
50 years ago, we don't have that technology to be able to do that. You're just going to hear about it or read about it eventually. But this is what our technology has done. You can literally, right now, on, on certain different social media apps, be able to go and see hot spots where you can click and be like just teleported into it. And all of a sudden, you're at a poker table watching someone play poker. Or you're at the Indy 500, even though you're actually not there, and you're watching the cars go around because it was a hot spot, and you're able to click on it and see through other people's form of technology. It's just this weird thing that all of a sudden now we're experiencing so many things in an omnipresent way while we're still remaining finite and in one location. But it's giving us the allure that we can be anywhere at all times in our fullness. Think about omnipotence, all power. The smartphone sales pitch is all about power. And listen, I have one. I'm not anti the smartphone, okay? Just, I, I didn't go back to a dumb phone. I, w- I mean, honestly, my favorite phone ever was a flip phone that became a flop phone because the spring broke and it just kind of dangled a little bit. <laughs> favorite phone to this day. I, if I could go back to it, I would, but I'm too reliant on this phone. You hold a device through which many, if not all, of life's tasks can be accomplished. Isn't that true? Your phone right now, it's a phone, it's a TV, it's a music player, it's a book reader, it's a fitness tracker, it's a menu, it's a shop, it's a clock, it's a budget tracker, it's a camera, it's an investment tool, it's a portfolio, it's a filing cabinet for documents, and so on and so forth. It literally sells itself as being the only thing you need Hence why it's called an iPhone. It's literally preaching the same thing that Satan in the garden is preaching. Is that autonomy is what you need. It even kind of goes back to, and I don't know if many of you remember the commercials back, this is iPod era, okay? Um, so iPod era where like literally the, the, the slogans that they were using during that era was you can dance to your own beat by yourself. And so you get the headphones on and you're just dancing, you're doing your thing, but no community. It's iPhone, it's iPod, it's iPad, it's you by yourself with this technology. And that's all you need in order to be satisfied, in order to be happy, in order to be content, in order to have God-like Power and autonomy. Autonomy was also a key part of the temptation that drove Adam and Eve. At the end of the day, they weren't satisfied with any limitations placed on their freedom. They weren't satisfied with any limitations placed on their freedom. And think about it, just even beyond iPhone at this point. Any and every technology that is being created, is it not at some point or foundation, is it not just trying to drive this desire to be more godlike? Is it not? I mean, just think transportation. Walking is a limitation. That horse is a good idea. That can get me where I need to go quicker and faster beyond my ability. It's godlike. All right, the horse isn't enough. I need more horses. Let's figure that out. Let's create some wheels and let's let's put an engine in it. Let's get some cars going. 
And now those aren't enough. We're trying to figure out how to get places faster and faster and faster. Everything is driving this idea or this temptation, this lure, this enticing to be like God. And it's not saying that what is being created and what is ultimately technology in and of itself is not bad as long as we understand that they are tools to be used for God's glory. We'll get to that here in a minute. I think the most insidious way the smartphone has reshaped our lives is by simply commandeering every minute of it. And this is where I feel like the attacking is going to happen. Right now, it's just all been on the iPhone. This is now coming to you, okay? <laughs> it just keeps us so hooked to scrolling, so just beholden to various apps that much of our time now goes toward aimless digital wandering and distracting diversions. How many of you get an update every Sunday based on your screen time for the week? Anybody? All right. I think mine's currently broke because it said it was up 70% this last week while I was trying to prepare this. Now, it also says it was averaging 20 minutes a day, so I don't even know how that... That's not true because usually it's way more than that. So I think it's broke. But anyways... It alerted me a little bit this morning when that came in. I was like, how? Like the one week that I'm conscious of it and I'm aware of it, I'm trying not to be on it, could I be up 70%? Anyways, we all deal with this, all right? Time we could spend with God is now filled with whatever this godlike digital substitute offers at any moment. And honestly, this is where I want to dive into kind of playing this kind of back and forth between what does the desire for knowledge, which is a good thing, how do we manage that? But also, how do we create space for stillness? Because we need that just as much as well. We need stillness. Reflecting in, or time we could spend in stillness, reflecting in gratitude on just the many gifts we've been given is now spent frantically clicking to find more. I mean, that's really, if we were to just pull it down to just the, the most basic definition of why we're attached to it, is because we want more, right? Just more. More breaking news, more things to order on Amazon, more shows to add to my streaming list, more photos to like and tweets to share, more content, more reels, more followers, more memes and gifs. And I do love a good meme and gif. I know that that's kind of my communication to many of you is just in the form of memes and gifs and it is gif it's not gif all right according to the creator it is gif all right of <laughs> it is true all right if you're on the gif side you're just wrong okay and and have been deceived by satan to a greater and unholy evil degree like Adam and Eve, in the paradise God gave them, we are lured by sin to want more than what we have. I mean, let's just think about it. In the paradise that they were given, they had more freedom than we could ever possibly understand and experience. I mean, their limitation was one rule. 
One rule. Don't eat from that tree. Don't eat from the tree. She even added a second rule. Don't touch it. He never said that. Don't eat from the tree. Outside of that, what can we do? Uh, Whatever you want to do. Whatever you can think of. But yet, the desire for more is what Satan used to tempt them. And that's the lie that we're buying into every single day is that what we need is more of what we already have. This is, I mean, if, if, if you don't get anything from this, this is the main thing. The lie we buy into every day is that we need more of what we already have. That's why storage units is one of the most successful businesses in the United States of America. And it's true. And I know that because I have a friend who owns a storage unit. He's like, if I could have jumped into this 20 years ago, he said, I mean, I would have retired long ago. We just buy into the lie that we need more of what we already had. And so what do we do with our natural temptation for more of what we already have? When I'm waiting in line to order my drink at a coffee shop, my automatic instinct is to grab my phone. Not to do anything necessary, of course, just to scroll aimlessly for the minute or two before it's my turn to order. It's the same impulse that leads me to grab my phone the first time in the morning. It's the same impulse that leads me to grab my phone right before I go to bed at night. It's the same impulse, and I've caught myself this week, didn't realize it was this bad, caught myself this week, of just walking from one side of the house to the other side of the house before I head out on that long journey, I'm thinking, where's my phone? Because I could probably look at something while I'm heading there. 20 seconds. What am I going to see in 20 seconds? Maybe a meme or a gif <laughs> someone sent me. But it's just this idea. It's, 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 I mean, at this point, it's just impulse for us to fill every moment of our life with some form of mediated content that's not necessarily good content. It's the temptation of more, the temptation of knowledge, the temptation of FOMO. If you don't know what that is, fear of missing out. Missing out on that next headline. Missing out on that meme. Missing out on whatever it is that my phone might give me in that moment. And the more I've become aware of this often unconscious habit, the more it disturbs me. And the main problem isn't that what I find in those snippets of scrolling is largely foolish... It's that the elimination of every last shred of unmediated space in our lives makes us foolish. It's we've gotten rid of any space in our lives for quiet time, for stillness, for opportunity to meditate, for opportunity to to pray, for opportunity just to rest. To become wise, we need emptiness in our days. We need time to think. We need space to, uh, to synthesize. We, we need moments to be still. We need mental breaks. We need limitations. We need limitations. We need boundaries. We need rest. Why do you think God designed you to sleep a third of your life? Just think about that. He designed you to sleep away a third of your life.
Why do you think God commands us to take a Sabbath? That's a day of rest, if you don't know what that means. Why do you think we have weekends off from work? Why do you think God created us to feel full when we eat? Because we need to take a break from eating. There are times when we are taking in knowledge, good knowledge, and then there are times when we need to stop and we need to meditate on what we've taken in. We need to meditate on what we've taken in. Psalm 46 verse 10 says it this way, Be still and know that I am God. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. Technology is not going to be what's exalted, even though that's what its drive is. It wants to, I mean, it's literally the race to be the best of the best of the best and, and every single who's getting exalted. God is the one who says, I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in all of the earth. Therefore, be still and know that I am God. I want to give you some practical things. I'm going to, I'm, this is going to be a lot of scripture thrown at you. But I want to give you some practical things to think about in incorporating this into your daily routine. Into your daily routine. Because I believe these are the things that we need in our daily routine to be best prepared to battle the spiritual warfare of temptation that comes to us on a daily basis. Because if we're hyper-distracted and overwhelmed with information and constantly tired because of all the, the unmediated content that's coming into us, well, then when temptation lures and entices us, we have no strength. We have no ability to be able to combat that. We, have no, we are not thinking and dwelling on Christ when that happens. And so it's going to be way easier for us at that time to probably like Adam and Eve, make up rules about the rules to try to figure out a way to combat or justify our sin in the moment. And so the first one is simply this. Number one, be quiet. Be quiet. <laughs> be quiet. Proverbs 17.1 says this, Better is a dry morsel with quiet than a house full of feasting with strife. Now, I'd love a good feast. But what the Lord's telling me here is that there are moments when it's better to have something that's way less than in order to have the virtue of quietness within your house than it is to have everything and yet be at strife with one another because you're not mature enough to handle it. That's important. Because what we're trying to do in our houses right now is... Fill it with everything that is good and everything that is great and everything that is entertaining and everything. And what it ultimately leads to is not quietness, but rather strife, frustration. Maybe that's why my mentors and so many others also always refer to us as having a quiet time with the Lord every day. I always hated that phrase because I just thought it sounded so Christianese. Have you had your quiet time with the Lord today? I also just thought, is that a southern thing only? Do y'all, did y'all call it quiet times, Midwest people, folk? Quiet times, all right. Uh, what else do y'all call it? Like that, you know, your five to ten minute thing with the Lord each day. What? Devos? All right. 
I can get behind that a little bit more than what I used to feel about quiet time. But, but yeah, just, and, and also like the five to ten minutes, like give them some more. All right, like that's like a snack. Just work it in. Work it in. If five to ten minutes is literally all you have at first, start there and then get more time with the Lord. More quiet time with the Lord. And this doesn't have to be time where you're coming in doing all the talking. I know some of you who pray, and you pray, and you talk, and all you do is talk, and when you're done talking, which again, it's good to talk to God. I'm not saying don't talk to God. But what I'm saying is, is be quiet. Be quiet. Be still. Listen. Listen. The second one is Psalm 63, verse 6, and this is for the bedtime routine. When I remember you upon my bed and meditate on you in the watches of the night. What he's dealing with here is he's dealing with a lot of, in the context of this, is there's a lot of pain, there's a lot of struggle, there's a lot of distress that's going on around him. And when he goes to bed at night, he doesn't go to a source of information to give him the advice that he needs. He doesn't distract himself by, by playing a game or whatever it might be. He's not going to try to figure out. He's laying down on his bed and he's thinking about the Lord. He's thinking about the Lord. I'll be honest with you. Straight up honest with you. Sometimes I might be too honest when it comes to this. I do that once a week. Once a week. And you know what night it is? Saturday night. Because I'm preaching the next morning. Once a week. What it usually looks like is, let me catch up on the memes and the gifs before I go to bed at night. Let me see what Josh has sent me. That's ridiculous. I want to read you Psalm 77, 1 through 15. And this is, again, this is a, a prayer from Asaph that is in a time of a, of a ton of distress. All right? A ton of distress. He says in Psalm 77, I cry aloud to God, aloud to God, and he will hear me. In the day of my trouble, I seek the Lord. In the night, my hand is stretched out with wearying. My soul refuses to be comforted. When I remember God, I moan. When I meditate, my spirit faints. Selah. You hold my eyelids open. I am so troubled that I cannot speak. I consider the days of old, the years long ago. How many of you can just resonate with just his kind of confession there? Of just, I am, I am exhausted. I'm tired. I can't sleep. I'm stressed out. I'm anxious. I mean, even the things that I'm trying to do aren't working for me. My spirit is still fainting. But this is what he responds with in verse 6. I said, let me remember my song in the night. Let me meditate in my heart. Then my spirit made a diligent search. Will the Lord spurn forever and never again be favorable? Has his steadfast love forever ceased? Are his promises at an end for all time? Has God forgotten to be gracious? Has he in anger shut up his compassion? Selah. He just breathes it out again. Then I said, I will appeal to this, to the years of the right hand of the Most High. 
I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I will remember your wonders of old. I will ponder all your work and meditate on your mighty deeds. Your way, O God, is holy. What God is great, or what God is great like our God. You are the God who works wonders. You have made known your might among the peoples. You with your arm redeemed your people, the children of Jacob and Joseph. Selah. As he's meditating on this, is he reading to learn? Or is he calling from remembrance? Be still and know. This again, this is not an anti-knowledge message. We need to know the works of the Lord. We need to know the deeds of the Lord. We need to know the truths of the Lord. That's why we're walking through this series is because we want you to know what the Bible is revealing to us, what we are to believe about that Bible, and then how it impacts our day to day. This is what is coming to kind of fruition here in this passage is the fact that what he knows about the Lord is what he's calling to remembrance in his own mind and in his own heart as he's laying down in the wee hours of the night in order for him to just find finally some resemblance of rest. I need rest. And the only thing that's going to provide me rest is getting away and being still and quiet. And it's in that place and in that place only that we will find restoration. Restoration. Fuel. And so when it comes to temptation, just remember. James 1.13 says, Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. What we're dealing with on a daily basis is this just constant throw of, of information, technology, entertainment, anything and everything that you can think of that is luring and enticing you. Did God really say you can't? Yes, he said you can't. You need to pull away. You need to have time of quiet and stillness. You need to create space in your day to remember the truths of the Lord, to remember the grace and mercy of the Lord, to be able to, 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 to pull on that for your strength and your ability to be able to say no to whatever is luring and enticing you in that day. And to know that this is not ultimately coming from the Lord when you're being lured and enticed. God does not tempt you. Now, in Him allowing you to be tempted is Him testing you. But that's a completely different thing, and we'll get to that later on. But I want you to see this also. Hebrews 2, 2 17 through 18. Therefore, He had, referring to Jesus, He had to be like His brothers in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. We need to know and remember the fact that Jesus Christ is our high priest. He's our advocate. He is the one ministering to us and helping us every single day when we feel that pull 
And we feel that temptation, we feel that luring, that enticing, that he has been tempted just as much, and if not more, than every single one of us have ever experienced, to the point that even in his own temptation, he was tempted to the point of, of feeling the weight and anxiety of the temptation to where he sweat blood. Have you ever sweat blood by resisting temptation? No. But this is what he's experienced. For Hebrews 4, 15 through 16 says, We do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet was without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. So when you're being lured and you're being enticed, what we first need to do, we need to get quiet. We need to be still. We need to remember Jesus and we need to remember who he is and the fact that he's been tempted through the exact same thing that you've been tempted through. He was without sin, which means he was able to conquer it and to uh, have victory over it. And because he was able to do that, the imputed righteousness that comes to you because of the cross of Jesus Christ gives you the same strength and ability to be able to say no to your sin and yes to Jesus every single day. Like, it's, it's frustrating that we believe constantly that we don't have the power and ability to say no to sin. That we just don't. And it's a lie. It's a lie from Satan. Literally, he's given us, as it even says here in Galatians 6, 1 through 2. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Let me be gentle a little bit. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Not only is Christ providing you help, but he's created a family to provide you help in the time of need even more than that in first corinthians 10 13 no temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man god is faithful he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability now is this your ability in your own flesh absolutely not we already screwed that up in the in the fall we already messed that up in the in the, in the garden your ability in christ but with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape so that you may be able to endure it. I mean, he, again, God is rigging the whole thing to where Satan has no opportunity to win. Zero. And he's removing every possible excuse you could have to say, I just can't help it. I just keep sinning. I just keep messing up. Woe is me, navel gazer. Like, it's just, there's no excuse. 1 John 4, 4. He who is in you, speaking of Jesus, is greater than he who is in the world. Speaking of Satan. Jesus in you is greater than anything Satan has to come and tell you. Or lure you. Or entice you. Our problem with sin is not God's issue. Our problem with sin is that we don't believe God. We don't believe him in his word. We don't trust him that he has sent us a helper. That Jesus Christ has experienced every temptation that we've experienced and yet was without sin. And that he is 
uh, mediating for us on our behalf between us and the Lord and that he's actually giving us the strength to be able to say no to that sin and that he's also placed people around us to hold us accountable to help us stay away from that sin, whatever it is. And that he's even given us the ability with just his identity alone, his righteousness in us, to be able to say, you know what? That sin, I don't want that. I want this. I want righteousness. I want holiness. I want goodness. I, I want to do what God has called me to do. And because I want that, which is joyful, I'm going to say no to this thing over here that robs me of joy. But I think, again, one of the main reasons why we don't get there is because we're never thinking about it. We're never able to have these moments in our day where we can be meditating, where we can be praying, where we can be still, where we can be quiet, where we can literally have space to remember and recount the truths of God and who Jesus is and who the Holy Spirit is and the work that they're doing in our lives. So I challenge you this week, just like you budget finances, if you do that, <laughs> just like you budget finances, will you budget your time? Will you budget your time? And, and use your phone to figure it out. Create a schedule with your phone that reminds you. Mine, mine, for example, Instagram, there's an there's a op, op, option on there where you, it will remind you or notify you based on how long you've been on it. So mine hits 30 minutes and it says, you've been on Instagram for 30 minutes today. Sometimes I just swipe it off, you know. It's like, I need more time, all right? But no, there's budget your time. So that you can actually, and, and, and maybe the first thing is don't just jump into a budget, audit your time first. Audit your time. See how you spend your time. Because I know some of you right now, you're thinking, man, you don't know how busy my life is. It's hard enough for me to show up to church or to go to community group or play in a softball game or to... Do whatever it is. I've got just so many things going on. I don't know if I can work in a quiet time every day or a devo every day or a study every day or a time to, to just sit. And, and you know, When was the last time you were able just to go to a park by yourself and just sit there? That's going to be like three months out on my calendar. Audit your time and I guarantee there's space. Because you'll be able to look at it and say, you know what, maybe I shouldn't have spent those three hours on Netflix last night. Or maybe I shouldn't have fill in the blank. Audit your time, and then if you're married with your spouse, budget your time. If you're single, get with your community group and say, hey, what do y'all think about this? I'm going to try this. Get people involved and get time with the Lord. Because if you don't have time with the Lord, I'm just telling you, the luring and the enticing and the behind-the-scenes stuff, it, it, it's, it's going to eat at your soul. And the only thing that comes from that's grief. Just grief. We, just, we don't want that for you. 
We don't want that for you. So let's figure it out. Figure it out. I got no other way to end the sermon other than just saying figure it out. (laughs) This week, all right? Get some time with the Lord because we need it. We need it, all right? I'm going to pray and then we're going to jump into communion here. Father, thank you so much for who you are. And thank you for your goodness. And God, thank you for your grace and your mercy that you continue to pour out on us every single day. And there's so many things, Lord, that we do daily where we are being lured and enticed to be like you and to want more than what you have provided for us. And we're sorry. We're sorry, Lord. And we pray that you would just continue to convict our hearts to draw us back to you, to pull us into just your joy and your pleasure and your delight over us. Because God, I think one of the things that just weighs on us so much every day is just we don't feel like we're good enough. We don't feel like we're that you're pleased and that you're delighting in us. But the truth is is that you are. We just don't think about it because we're too distracted with everything else. So Father, convict us so that it pulls us back to you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. As we come to this time of communion, I want this to be maybe for us just a step to, to just be quiet and to be still. And so I really want you to just, before you uh, eat the wafer and drink the juice, I want you to just sit and just remember. And we're going to have a good maybe five minute, just awkward time. We'll go late. It's fine. Last Sunday here. Why not? Let's just be still and be quiet and just think about what this is representing. Jesus breaking his body and and him shedding his blood on the cross to fix us and to bring us home and to reconcile us back into relationship with God, to give us joy, to no longer give us condemnation, but to delight over us. That's what this sacrifice is accomplishing him breaking his body and shedding his blood, him taking every sin that you gave yourself over to from being lured and enticed, he placed it on himself and bore the weight and the wrath of God. So let's think about that. Let's contemplate that. Let's meditate on that. And then in a few minutes when you're ready, remember by partaking And be filled up with the joy that he has for you. Thank you for listening to a sermon from the District Church. For more information about us, please visit www.thedistrict.church. Additionally, if any of our sermons have brought encouragement to you, would you please let us know by emailing us at info at thedistrict.church.